Welcome to the Occult London Podcast. This is a new podcast dedicated to exploring magic, mysticism, and Kabbalah, as well as other topics. If you like the podcast, please write a review and rate it on iTunes, as it will really help us to get this message out there. Also, be sure to visit our website at www.occultlondon.co.uk, where you can subscribe to the show. If anyone has any questions for me, then I'd love to hear from them, so please reach out via Facebook or an email, as I'd love to answer your questions. You can find our social media on the show notes, or alternatively email us at occultlondonpodcast at gmail.com. Hope you enjoy it. In today's episode, we will be continuing our discussion on the Archangels, with a discussion on the Archangel Mikael. From a magical point of view, Mikael is meant to have been the first angel created and is often portrayed as being the leader of the angels or the first among equals. He is usually seen as an armoured being in the act of subduing the enemy of the evil one and his weapon is not the sword but the sphere, spear. Um, he's usually attributed to the element of fire and sits in the southern quarter and appears in lots of different texts throughout history um, in the Bible as well as in Judaism, Christianity and Islam. So we get Mikhail um, is involved with Moses and the burning bush. He's also uh, in the story of Daniel uh, who rescues from the lion's den and is also meant to have been the angel who tells Mary about her death. In the book of Revelation, he also has a more military aspect as being the leader of the armies of heaven against the Antichrist, and he also acts as a prayer leader in Islamic traditions. Mikhail has various different names and titles, like all the archangels. Um, He's known as Who is Like God, the Perfect of God, leader of the heavenly hosts, prince of light, vanquisher of darkness, also who is like unto the Lord. In the Bible he is also called prince of the chief princes, the great prince and sword of God. And traditionally he is considered to be one of the most important and powerful of the archangels according to the Christian, Jewish and Islamic traditions. Mikhail is meant to be the main angel who's constantly working to bring about peace on the earth. He's a very proactive, very energetic uh, being. He's also the protector and patron of those who seek the divine in their lives, traditionally. In terms of how he's portrayed, he's often shown holding a spear, but sometimes also holds scales of justice or holds a flame. Again, obviously connections with the element of fire there. And the flame is often, you know, obviously that connection with the south, but also obviously fire in the context of judgment and, you know, balancing. So very much kind of Geburah from the point of view of the Kabbalah. Um, And some of the aspects of this archangel are very similar to the kind of Egyptian hall of judgment in some depictions this is particularly strong where he's actually shown as weighing souls in balance with the devil and there's a really good example of that on the tower of saint michael's on in glastonbury in the uk if anyone wants to check that out mikhail is a warrior against unbalanced force and so he represents strength courage and daring 
but also the power to stand up against those who are stronger than us. He tells us to find that courage within ourselves, find the fire within ourselves to face the dragon that is our dark side, our shadow self. Mikael the Archangel is often called upon when we're in danger or there's unbalanced forces of nature um, or you know the rush up of kind of negative emotions within ourselves and one of the main kind of lessons you can learn from that however is that in the depictions he's often um, taming the dragon Um, so he's not killing it he's actually almost almost incorporating it and bathing it in this kind of divine love so it's very much about using that power, that inner light within ourselves to tame the unbalanced aspects of ourselves, the unbalanced elements within ourselves. And also, obviously, the dragon uh, can, be, can be a symbol of Kundalini as well. So it's this taming, that serpent power that ascends through the spinal channel represented by the spear. Uh, in 1950, Pope Pius VII proclaimed Mikhail to be the patron saint of policemen. So obviously, again, this aspect of him as being a kind of guardian of justice. And the Dead Sea Scrolls are meant to have been, they talk about him being an angel of light who led the angels of light against the angels of darkness led by Belial. Mikhail's name is mentioned directly multiple times in the Bible. Uh, sources in obviously the book of Daniel, Jude, as well as others. And it's usually in the context of defender of the Jews, but also as in the book of Revelation, he leads God's armies against Satan during the war on heaven. And this also probably kind of illustrates why he is sometimes intermingled with Raphael in the sense that he's a very sort of fiery warlike character. In the Quran, Mikael is also one of the archangels mentioned alongside Gabriel in Surah 298, where it says, Whosoever is an enemy to God and his angels and his messengers are Jibrael and Mikael, then God himself is an enemy to the disbelievers. In terms of his positioning on the tree of life from the Kabbalistic point of view, um, he can be placed in either Hod, uh, Mercury, or alternatively in Tiferet, the sun. Um, as we discussed in our last episode uh, on Raphael, it's slightly irrelevant from my experience. Um, both arch- archangels seem to complement each other quite well, and you can almost work with them in a team with either Sephiroth. Um, in my own personal uh, practice, I normally work with Mikhail in Hod, uh, Mercury as the archangel of communication and mental strength, and this fits quite well with the element of fire that's attributed to Mikhail because obviously we've got the, the mental fire, the fire wand that cuts through the dross and enables us to have clear thinking and take action. And this is explained quite well in Gareth Knight uh, in his practical guide when he says the following, and I quote, The element of fire is that element which transmutes forms to a higher level and so is associated with Mikhail by reason of the fact that he deals similarly with unregenerated forms and forces. Fire is the purging element, as Mikhail is the purging archangel. As Hod is a water sephira, it may seem strange that the archangel of fire should be assigned to it, but the processes of mentation of Hod, logic and science, the categorising 
the unknown into knowable structures is a shedding of light into dark places and one of humanity's greatest fears is the fear of the unknown. And that's a quote from Gareth Knight. In the Hebrew tradition, Mikael is seen as the keeper of the keys of heaven and defender of Israel. And in the Bahir, uh, which is a Kabbalistic text, he is considered to be concerned with love or the concept of giving without any thought of reward. Mikael also appears to Moses in the burning bush in Exodus. And he's also connected with Moses in the legend that states it was Mikael alongside Gabriel, Raphael, Uriel and Metatron who bury Moses after fighting for his body. In the rabbinic traditions, Mikael plays a role as guardian of the Jewish people who protects and also sometimes has to fight with other nations as well as the, the angel Samael. This is shown quite well when um, there's a story about the archangel Samael falling from heaven and he's meant to have taken hold of the wings of Mikael in an attempt to bring him down with him. But Mikael is saved by God. Apparently there was um, some rabbinical prohibitions against appealing to the angels as intermediaries between God and the people. Um, however, Mikael seems to have kind of occupied a very special place uh, within that. So there's various different prayers written to Mikael within that tradition, using him as an intermediary between man and God. And it's for this reason that some of the rabbis actually declared that Mikael had always been a defender of the Jewish people since the time of the biblical patriarchs. And they also said that it was Mikael that rescued Abraham from the furnace into which he had been thrown and who also stopped Isaac from being sacrificed by his father by substituting a ram in his place. There is also another legend which I wanted to mention that likely comes from that tradition where uh, Mikhail is sent by God to bring Nebuchadnezzar against Jerusalem and Mikhail frees the nation from captivity and he's also meant to have been one of the angels who challenges God's decision to create man on earth. In Christianity, um, he's often long for an awful long time been seen as kind of a protector and a guardian. And there's you know there's thousands of places dedicated to Mikhail around the world, which often probably would have been um, pagan places of worship. So often you find churches or shrines to Mikhail on tops of hills or hillocks. So for instance, there's Saint Michael's Mount in Penzance, Cornwall. We've got Mont Saint-Michel in Brittany and France, and then obviously Glastonbury Tor, which is the kind of epicentre of this, um, you know, particularly like the Grail stories, but um, also often by a lot of people considered like the, the spiritual heart of Britain. As we've seen, there's lots of different scriptural references to Mikhail, and he's always been very important to the Christian religion and also honoured and praised um, in early Christianity, right back to the beginning. Um, according to the Gnostic tradition, it was Mikhail who was present at the creation of the universe and he was one of the seven who stands next to the throne of God. And when each angel was assigned a role afterwards, he was given the task of looking after the Israelites and also later the Christians. In the apocryphal Gospel of Bartholomew, Mikhail is shown to have been responsible for creating man and is also the archangel that obtains the earth from the four corners of the earth. And in the Dead Sea Scrolls, as I mentioned earlier, he's known as this Prince of Light, or warrior against darkness, and is very much seen as being this kind of heavenly warrior who 
fights the forces of evil. And this may also be why he is, in the Middle Ages, he was considered as being like the sort of patron saint of knights, um, because he's very much kind of this warlike but very honourable um, figure who uses his sword for good, generally. Um, he also obviously had this very special concern for humanity, and we see this in the apocryphal Apocalypse of Paul when it says the following, and this is meant to be from what Michael says. I am he that stands in the presence of God always, as the Lord liveth, before whose face I stand. I cease not for one day nor one night to pray continually for the race of men, and I indeed pray for them that are upon the earth. I say that if any man doeth even but a little good, I will strive for him and protect him. And that's a quote from the Apocalypse of Paul. He's also mentioned in the Greek Apocalypse of Baruch, and Mikhail's meant to dwell in the fourth heaven, which is described as containing a beautiful plain or field with a central lake. And the lake is further explained in another text known as the Apocalypse of Paul, where Mikhail is meant to actually wash sinners after death in the white waters of the Acherusian Lake. And this is kind of a really interesting idea of Mikhail kind of cleansing sin, uh, getting rid of shame, getting rid of fear. Um, and it's also illustrated quite well in the Gospel of Nicodemus when he is shown as washing sinners in the River Jordan before they spend eternity in heaven. So it's kind of this idea, as I said before, it's justice, but it's kind of also justice through love. So it's this acceptance of who you are and washing away that dirt, washing away that filth to kind of reveal that gold underneath. And in that description, um, gathered around the lake, there's meant to be many exotic birds who sing continuously because they're not really birds, but souls who continuously worship and praise God. Um, Baruch describes in his book that Mikhail in this role kind of acts as the gatekeeper to the kingdom of heaven and that no one can pass from that fourth heaven to the fifth heaven until Mikhail actually agrees to open the gate and he's meant to carry a large bowl of flowers which represent the prayers of angels which he takes to God. Mikhail is then meant to take these up to God and is given oil in return which he returns and gives to the angels and the amount they get being proportioned to the quantity and amount of prayers that they offered. In the text, Baruch stands outside the gates to the fifth heaven, but he does not enter as a result of this. So, um, yeah, because he believed that no one could communicate with, with God without using Mikhail as a mediator. One of the interesting things about Mikhail in the Christian tradition is that Despite him never being human, he is sanctified by the Catholic Church and becomes Saint Michael. And it's not very clear kind of why that happened. However, it's probably to do with the fact that this idea of him being an intermediary between God and mankind. And this is very much kind of talking about his helping aspects as well. Um, we also hear mentioned in the apocryphal book of Adam and Eve, so he helps Adam and Eve after expelled from the Garden of Eden. He's meant to have taught Adam how to grow vegetables and also 
takes Adam on a tour of heaven in a fiery chariot, which is so quite similar to the stories of Apollo, and also obviously Ra in um, the Egyptian traditions as well, so the chariots going over the sky. Also, Mikhail tells Sarah, the wife of Abraham, that she would bear a son, and as I said before, he's meant to have stopped Abraham from sacrificing Isaac, saying the following, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seest that thou hast not withhold thy son, thy only son from me. In the testament of Abraham, Mikhail takes Abraham off on a tour of the world when he's about to die. And, you know, again, this kind of shows his aspect of guardian. So he's very much kind of looking after Abraham and making sure that that transition is effective from this world into the heavenly realm. And there's also some stories in relation to him being the guardian of Jesus and also the Virgin Mary and looking after them whilst they're on earth. And there's also Jesus was meant to have asked Mikhail to look after the Virgin Mary when she passes over. This is probably why in this kind of role of psychopomp in the sense of him uh, being a guide between this world and the other world, this is why he may be known as kind of a, a Christian angel of death. So when someone is dying, he's meant to appear and gives each soul the chance to redeem themselves. And obviously beside his role as kind of a military archangel, a justice archangel, a guardian archangel, he's also um, has a tradition of him as being a healer as well. So again, there's quite a lot of correspondences there with Raphael. And this tradition is meant to have started in Phrygia, where there was healing hot springs that were dedicated to him. The idea of Mikhail acting as a cleansing but also a psychopomp into the other world is shown well um, when we look at the story of Monte Golgano in southern Italy. And the story is that in 492 there was meant to have been a rich merchant by the name of Galgano um, who lived in the mountains. And one day he was out with his sheep and a bull strayed away from the flock and he searched for hours and hours and they eventually find the bull standing outside the cave and he's very angry and he shoots an arrow at the bull however rather than hitting the arrow the arrow the animal kind of turns and the arrow turns in midair and kills the man who shoots it um galgano and his men are terrified about this and ask a bishop for advice who then prays and fasts for three days and after three days, Mikhail is meant to have appeared and tells the man that the man was killed because the place where the bull went was sacred to him and they should build a shrine to him there. And it's a quote from um, Richard Webster when he says the following. When the bishop brought Galgano and his colleagues to the cave, they found three altars inside, one of them covered with a beautifully embroidered crimson and gold altar cloth. A stream of pure water sprang from a rock and was discovered to have healing qualities. There's also an interesting story about Mikhail in relation to his relationship with Lucifer. And 
yeah, I mean, this is kind of obviously related to some of the aspects of the Grail legends. Um, one particular one is this story of Michael, Lucifer and the Holy Grail or the Lapsus Exilis, which is a green stone set into a crown. The myth mentioned in different places, so you can find it in Parseville by Wolfram von Eschenbach, as well as um, other kind of poetic versions as well. But basically in the story, Lucifer is one of the angels who, uh, who becomes overcome with pride and attempts to steal the crown of heaven, obviously Keta being the symbolism of the crown. And Mikhail is the angel that stops this, and he actually casts the stone from Lucifer's crown out of heaven followed shortly afterwards swiftly by lucifer um who flies through the air in a spectacular burnout um which is obviously you know relation to the cabalistic lightning flash as well on the tree of life and then obviously lucifer becomes the adversary and i'll just quote from the text because it's quite an interesting story this and there's lots of symbolism so i'd recommend checking it out Shall I then bring the crown that was made by 60,000 angels who wished to force God out of the kingdom of heaven? See, Lucifer, there he is. If there are still master priests, then you know well that I am singing the truth. Saint Michael saw God's anger. Plagued by this insolence, he took Lucifer's crown from his head in such a way that a stone jumped out of it which on earth became Parsifal's stone. The stone which sprang out of it, he found it, he who has struggled for honour at such high cost. It's interesting to note that the traditionally the grail was described as being a platter or a shield, which is obviously a symbol of earth. And also, if you think about gematria, which is uh, one of the kind of tools in the Kabbalah toolbox, uh, the his, his actual number is 101, which is the same as the Hebrew word Aben Gedula, which is the great stone. So there's obviously kind of a very interesting interlinked thing there, which is worth kind of meditating on as well. Um, there's obviously lots of other shrines as well um, in relation to Mikhail. So we have obviously the tomb of Hadrian in Rome, and St. Gregory is meant to have had a, a vision of Mikhail there. Joan of Arc in France is also meant to have seen visions of um, Archangel Michael. And one of the most recent sightings was in 1965. Four children in Spain were meant to have seen the Archangel. In the Islamic tradition, uh, Michael plays a role as the leader of the armies of God and is meant to have control over the forces of nature as well as an army of angels at his disposal. And I quote, Mikael has a million tongues, each of which can speak a million languages. He has long saffron hair, which reaches to his feet. Each hair contains a million faces, and each of them contains a million eyes that cry 70,000 tears. Mikael lives in the seventh heaven and has glorious wings of green topaz. Mikael takes his work seriously and never laughs. It is also believed that the cherubim were created from the tears that Mikhail shed when contemplating the sins of the faithful. Um, God is meant to have created a special palace or a dwelling for Mikhail in paradise, where the angels were meant to come and visit him five, days a, uh, five times a day for prayers and ceremonies. And obviously each angel is also meant to sing in a different language 
um, asking God to help mankind and provide mercy. Mikael is also meant to be the keeper of special types of trees that grow in paradise, um, according to the Islamic tradition, called bell trees. And interesting, these trees were meant to be golden coloured and covered with silver bells, which created a beautiful sound that if people on earth heard them, they would die immediately from how beautiful they sounded. Each bell meant to radiate a light that enables the inhabitants of paradise to see all things. So as we've seen, um, to conclude really this episode, we can see that Mikhail is a very powerful force of protection and divine power and has had a huge influence over the course of history and continues to do so. And one of the most important things to remember about the Archangel Mikhail is that although he's often depicted as fighting evil, this is a role that he he has kind of taken on really and it must be enacted in order for the universe to continue. In order for there to be light, there must be shadow. In order to be for there to be good, there must be evil. Good and evil, light and shadow are different sides of the same coin. Um, and Mikhail teaches us that it's through balancing the different aspects of ourselves that the true force of will and love can be made manifest. And this is explained quite beautifully by um, the magician Eliphaz Levy when he says the following. To make light visible, God had only to postulate shadow. To manifest the truth, he permitted the possibility of doubt. The shadow bodies forth the light and the possibility of error is essential for the temporal manifestation of truth. If the buckler of Satan did not intercept the spear of Michael, the might of the angel would be lost in the void or manifested by infinite destruction launched below from above. Did not the heel of Michael restrain Satan in his ascent, Satan would dethrone God, or rather he would lose himself in the abysses of the altitude. Hence Satan is needful to Michael as the pedestal to the statue, and Miss Mikael is necessary to the Satan as the brake to the locomotive. And that's a nice quote from Elavas Levi. So as we see, it's this constant balance um, between the forces of harmony against the unbalanced forces, joining them together and really kind of transforming that darkness into light the alchemical process of enlightenment that's all we've got time for today hope you've enjoyed this episode next week we will be talking about um the archangel gabriel so i hope you tune in for that thanks very much for joining us this week on the occult london podcast please make sure to visit our website at occultlondon.co.uk where you can subscribe to the show hope you enjoy it and have a nice evening thanks bye Sunshine